Welcome back to the Kenny Chester Podcast. I'm your host, Kenny Chester. Today's episode, we're going to continue our series on culture in crisis, specifically why critical theory is incompatible with Christianity. We have seen a lot of this being melded with Christianity. Many progressive, woke-style pastors are trying to bring it in, um, preach a social gospel, if you will. And I want to point out some of the reasons why I feel like this is folly and there's no way that these two things can be compatible. I want to make a good case, a strong case. I want to represent the critical theorist well. I'm going to try to do that. I'm not trying to misrepresent them today. But hear me out. I think we'll have a lot to cover. Let's buckle up and get to work. I don't know. It seems to me that he shouldn't be saying that. Well, what is it that you want him to say? Shut him down. Getting right into it today. First, let's start by a quick review of the last few episodes. If you're listening today, I'm not I'm not asking you to stop and go back and listen to the other two episodes. I don't I'm so thankful that you're listening. Um I'm I'm just just finish this one on out, bro. Come on. You can do it. You've already started. Let's not go to that next episode. Um so quickly, I want to talk a, uh, a little bit of what it is we're we're talking about what we've covered so far. Um I won't get into all the details. Obviously, I won't have 30 I have 30 minutes today that I'm going to try to get in and out, but we're going to quickly define what is critical theory and where it came from. If you have listened to our other episodes, hopefully this won't bore you, but basically what started as a Marxist movement did not manifest in a worldwide violent revolution, and the Marxists, the Orthodox Marxists, were left scratching their head. They decided to turn the page from an economic revolution and decided to go more for a cultural revolution. And all these things we've covered um, in episodes prior, um, this is coming out of the Frankfurt School in Frankfurt, Germany, and we got into the details uh, or into the weeds um, on the last episode in this series about who those guys were, who their thinkers were. And so they developed what was called critical theory. And critical theory is different than most theories or most uh, classic theories in as much as it requires praxis. Now, what is praxis? It means that you must do critical theory. Critical theory is not some abstract concept that explains uh, society. It actually requires its adherence to put to put in practice these things. And this is one of the reasons why there's such a, uh, a controversial issues surrounding specifically critical race theory, uh, which is an offshoot of critical theory. It uses um, the idea of it. Uh, critical theory is the umbrella that a lot of these things like uh, post-colonialism, gender studies, uh, whiteness studies, uh, critical race theory, those things are under this umbrella uh, of this, 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 this theory called critical theory. So critical theory is basically oriented toward critiquing and changing society as a whole. Um, it, it divides people into... Two groups, oppressor groups versus the oppressed. So you're either an oppressor or you are the oppressed. And then you have this concept called intersectionality that comes into play in which you have all these competing factions that you can be oppressed because you are a homosexual, but you are less depressed than a person of color who is also homosexual. If you're white and homosexual, you are slightly, uh, 
uh, more oppressive than, say, a person of color homosexual? And then what if you are also disabled? And and so this that's where the idea of intersectionality comes in, is that, that as you start dividing people into oppressed and oppressor groups, that there are an endless amount of intersections that these two things collide at. And so uh, I don't want to do a, a, a rush job of critical theory. I'm trying to get just what we've covered before, if you want um, a more deep dive into that, you can go back and listen to another episode. I'm just trying to cover uh, and, and do it justice as well. Um, so let's take another swing at it. What is critical theory? Critical theory is a worldview in which everything relevant in society exists in the power dynamics of the oppressed and oppressor groups. The object of the theory is to accuse the oppressor groups. So you, once again, it's not just an explanation. There's praxis involved. That means you you have to put it. You have to you have to do critical theory. You have to get out there and then you have to accuse. The oppressor groups. You have to point it out, make make a ruckus, and try to change society. Uh, uncover the biases that are baked in. Uh, critique it, dismantle it, and if if you necessary, discard the whole system. And so that's where we're at right now in the political uh, discourse and the framework that we operate in the West right now. We are seeing decades and decades and decades of this type of thinking uh, emerge. And so this is, this is if you're wondering about the cultural revolution that is happening in the West, specifically right now, we're talking about the United States of America. Um, this, is, this is the origins of it. This is where it's coming from. And so if today's episode is about why this is incompatible with Christianity, I want to briefly describe what Christianity is and talk about some of the core tenets. And, and, and as we lay it out, hopefully you'll be able to understand why um, you cannot have both of these things in your head at the same time, why one of them will demand that you um, uproot and discard the other. So what is Christianity? Christianity is uh, one of the Abrahamic uh, monotheistic religions. Uh, when we say that, we say it's, it's a, it's, it comes from the, the, the covenant of Abraham. We are uh, a Judaic Christian nation, or we were founded on the Judaic Christian principles. Um, and so it's this idea that there's one God, that's the monotheistic part of it, um, and he has revealed himself um, uh, through the person of Jesus Christ. It's, 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 it's the, the religion is based on the life and teachings of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Um, Jesus summed up very well all the laws of the prophets when they asked him what the greatest commandment was. And he, he said, what is the greatest commandment? You know, and he quotes the, the Shema, the uh, hero is or the Lord our God is one Lord. And shall, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And I, I, can, I won't get into all the scriptures today, but all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, all these things. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang or hinge, depending on what translation you're reading, on these two commandments. So this is, that's, I'm not saying that's all of Jesus' teachings, but he's saying that the, the Judeo-Christian belief system is based on these two things. If you could love God with everything that you have, and then you love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. All the other laws, when it says they hinge on that, think of a door. So there's more to the door than the hinges, but without the hinges, the door falls flat. It's what all the other laws hang on. It's the it's the linchpins or or the the hinges of 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 those uh, other laws. So if you get those right, you won't have to worry about setting up false idols, you know, because you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. You won't have to worry about, um, you know, murder. 
if you love your neighbor as yourself, especially if you have a very wide view of who your neighbor is. And that's something else we can talk about in another lesson. So those are, in a nutshell, this is what Christianity is. And so one of the things that the Christian holds true, you say, well, where do you get these things? Well, I just quoted scripture to you. And that is one of the, the um, paramount beliefs of a Christian believer is the inerrancy of God's word. What is, what is that? It's the doctrine of the authority of, and inerrancy of Scripture. Well, it's 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 basically uh, it's a belief that says the Scriptures are God breathed. They are wholly true in all things that they assert in the original autographs, and therefore function with the authority of God's own words. So the doctrine of authority and inerrancy of Scripture is rooted in the doctrine of God. As God is true and trustworthy, so His Word recorded in the original autographs. That means the original things that were written. Now, there's translations galore. I get that. You can have somebody, one guy can take and 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 uh, interpret the Scripture, you know, privately. And we have Scripture that says you shouldn't do that. Um and so we're not talking about all these different translations, all these crazy ones that 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 kind of contort. And and we're talking about in the original autographs, they are true and trustworthy, and everything the scripture asserts are also wholly true, both in the Old Testament, the scriptures of Jesus, uh, the ones that the apostles wrote, uh, the ones in the New Testament, all 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 the writings, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. What is that inspiration? It means God breathed. And so as long as those original autographs have been faithfully copied, this is where we get into translation issues, translated and passed down, Scripture is inherent in its copies as well if they've been faithfully copied and translated. So this inherency means that all things that the Scripture asserts function with the authority of God's own words for Christians. This is what Christians believe, or this is what Christians should believe. So we believe God's Word is true because God is truth Himself. It, it, it's it's when you talk think about the inherency of scripture you think of 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 god having inerrancy ascribed to him if 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 i don't want to be too deep or whatever but it is because scripture is breathed out by god that it is also truthful in all that aff- it, that it affirms the god who has breathed out the word he is truthful so what else should you be expecting from His Word? Now, there's scriptures, and I don't want to get into all of them, but I want you to understand that this is a core tenet of Christian belief, is that the Word of God is inherent, it's infallible, uh, it's forever settled. And so these are the things that that, that we hold to in, in a Christian belief system. And so, and I, and I could get... Let's see. I'm already ten minutes in. And so let's, 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 just, let's quote a little bit about Jesus uh, and what He says about uh, the Scripture. Jesus and his disciples treated the Old Testament Scripture with utter trust and reverence. Uh, they, were, they never were suspicious towards uh, its reliability. Even Jewish's, uh, or Jesus' Jewish opponents did the same thing. While Jesus and the Jews had strong disagreements over how the Old Testament was to be interpreted and whether Jesus was who he says he was, never once, never once do they disagree on whether the text interpreted is trustworthy. Apart from such a presupposition, uh, their debates would have never happened in the first place. So Jesus brings a unique credibility on the issue as well. He is, after all, God himself. He is God manifest in the flesh. So naturally, our view of the scriptures should be the same as Jesus' view of scriptures. Um, he is the word made flesh. 
So you say, why are we even talking about this? We're talking about our culture in crisis. I'm trying to, to, and, and, and if you don't believe in the inherency of the Word of God, um, then you're most likely not a, not a Christian. Um, in the classical sense of Christians have always believed this, that, that, that the Lord was manifest in the flesh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw the glory. This is what John says about it. And so we, we adhere and ascribe to the idea that Scripture is inherent. Okay, why is this so important in, in what you're talking about today? I'm, I'm going to tell you why this is important. Because this is a worldview. Christianity is a lens in which we see the world through. Like we we look at look to God and his word. And it is our narrative for for everything that we experience on this planet. In in our life, our existence is is viewed through this. The reason or one of the reasons and I'll get into the rest uh later on, the reason that that critical theory is incompatible with Christianity is because it also asks to be a worldview. Critical theory is also a lens in which you view the world. And so I had a great uh, comment in one of uh, in my classes. It's been about three weeks ago now. We were talking about a worldview and how critical theory could really corrupt a Christian's mind when it comes to approaching societal issues. And I said, what's, the, what's, what's wrong with having two worldviews? And I love discussion in my class. Uh, I, want, I want to get my people involved. And we had another teacher in our church uh, who was not teaching that Sunday. He was in our class, and he raised his hand with an, with an analogy, and it was brilliant. Uh, his name is James Crocker, uh, who is also a, a public, public educator. Uh, and uh, he, he, I won't tell you how long he's been teaching. He taught me as a teenager uh, in my grandfather's church. And now we, we, we labor in the same field together in Walnut. He raised his hand and said, I have an analogy. He goes, so uh, on that day, uh, James was wearing contact lenses. And uh, me and him both have, uh, have wore uh, corrective lenses <laughs> since our, our teenage years, contacts and glasses. And I'm wearing glasses uh, this day. And so James says, I've got contacts in today, which correct my vision. My vision is, you know, is askewed. And so I put these in and it corrects my vision. Um, and so it helps before I see anything else, it passes through my contact lenses. Already a brilliant analogy that James is giving us. He goes, now, what if I were to take J uh, Kenny's glasses and put over my, my eyes? Um, now what I have then is two sets of corrective lenses and one of them will corrupt the other. Or, or the combination of them both will cause distortion in everything. And, and so I thought it was a brilliant analogy. It's like you can't have two worldviews. Like and, and if you do, here's the question, and this, this is where we, 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 we discussed that analogy a little bit, and then I, I took it a step further and I said, okay, here's my next question. If you, if you say, okay, I need, I need both. I need both corrective measures. Then here's the, here's, the, here's the crux. Which one do you put on first? Which is the contacts and which is the one that's slightly, you know, an inch or two from your contacts? Because uh, that matters. Because we, we have, one of them is, is 
first principles. One of them is the the, the thing that you're operating from, and I, I, you say, well, that that's not necessarily true. You can use one that can be supplementary. Let me uh, direct your attention to a tweet. This is by Union Seminary. Um, they tweeted this out on September 5th in 2018. So it was like three years ago. Um, this is a seminary. This is a seminary. I'm sure they're liberal, but this is a seminary. And this is what they say about Scripture. Now, we talk about inherency of Scripture. We talk about the Christian responsibility to the text and where we get our belief system. And this is what they said about the Scripture. A seminary, again, while divinely inspired, we deny that the Bible is inerrant or infallible. It was written by men over centuries and thus rejects uh, reflects both God's truth and human sin and prejudice. We affirm that biblical scholarship and critical theory help us discern which messages are God's. So in according to this seminary, their worldview that that presupposes scripture is critical theory. So how do you know when, when the Bible is telling the truth and when the Bible is, is missing the point? Well, you use critical theory to help you see that. And so we have now a worldview that is that is preeminent over the scripture. It's 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 before that. You look at scripture through the critical lens and not at critical theory through the biblical lens. And this is why I believe that one of the reasons why Christianity is incompatible with critical theory uh, and vice versa is because one of the, it it demands it demands preeminence. Like which one is preeminent? Which one do you use to interpret the other? You know, I personally believe as a Christian, we use the Word of God to test everything. That's my foundation. When I'm, when I'm dealing with problems in life, when I'm trying to work out issues, what does the Word of God say? What, does it address it specifically? Are there principles in which I can extract from the Word of God and apply to this situation? Was there a person that has dealt with it? Is there a Christian um, author uh, within the the, 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 the text, uh, or I should say writer, um, that's within the text that's that's speaking to this issue? So that's that's where I t- that's 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 how I view things, and I don't have anything before that. Like it's it's it, and it's not even it's not even me. Like here's the thing, like. You know, if if I have a feeling, and and the word of God contradicts my feeling, or I was like, well, this is a, you know, I, I I'm not sure about this situation. I think it should happen this way, and the Bible directly contradicts my view of that thing. Then immediately I say I'm wrong. The Bible's right. Like, what do you what do you do without that? Like, what is your absolute? You know, this the word of God is my absolute. It's the thing that is unchanging. Heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will stand. And so, as far as like um, a worldview, I've got to have a biblical worldview. That's I mean, it's got to. I, I, have, I have I have a worldview that's based on the infallible Word of God. From that stems obviously Christianity. From that it stems my Pentecostalism, uh, my apostolic doctrine. All these things are found in the Word of God. But that 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 first, you know, that priora type. Belief is that the word of God is inherent, and and I have to view things and judge them um, according to the word of God. And so, when you believe the Bible is entirely true, then you allow it to be the foundation of everything that you say and do. There's been some studies, and we've got ten minutes. Ah, uh, let me let me go through a few, a few of these studies. This one study 
was absolutely mind-blowing. It was an inaugural groundbreaking American Worldview Inventory. This happened in 2020. It was conducted by veteran researchers George Barna. You probably heard of Barna Research or Barna Group. or um, And George Barna is a director of research for the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. He's a pioneer in the field of worldview research. Barna called this study, this one in 2020, the most sophisticated nationwide survey, survey of worldview conducted in the United States. So these are the, some of the key findings of this uh, American Worldview Inventory 2020. Only one-fifth of those attending evangelical Protestant churches, that's 21%, have a biblical worldview. Now listen, that's not 20% of the nation. That is 21% of evangelical churchgoers. This is so unsettling um, as compared to one-sixth of those attending charismatic or Pentecostal churches, which is 16%. Pentecostal churches are even lower of among those attenders is one in six that have uh, this a biblical worldview. The study finds even a smaller por- uh, proportion in mainline Protestants, 8%, and Catholic churches, 1%. The, American, the number of American adults holding a biblical worldview has declined by 50% over the past quarter century. Regarding the youngest uh, adult generation, the numbers are even more startling. A mere 2% of those 18 to 29 um, possess a biblical worldview. This is, this is what's going on right now in America, is that once you remove a foundation, something as absolute as the Word of God, you pull the rug out from under society and they have nothing to stand on. This is what a lot of the great works of literature has done over the 19th and 20th century is the idea that once you once you pull that away, once you don't have that to stand on anymore, then you're going to uh, emerge or uh, de-evolve into chaos. And this is a lot of the story of the 19th century. Um and I've talked about it before. That's something that Nietzsche uh, basically prophesied. Uh, a lot of these uh, philosophers and um, human, even human seculars, these guys, they, it's when they say this is happening. That it's not, it's not, you know, it's not in defiance of God. It's actually a lament. Uh, we've talked that that before. Um, the questions that they ask about it are basically something like, "Do you absolute? Do you do you believe absolute moral truth exists?" Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Did Jesus Christ live a sinful life? These are the questions that went into this survey. Um, is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? And so this is this is um, is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Is Satan real? Did, did is God an all powerful, all knowing Creator of the universe? Um, does He still rule today? Those are the type of questions that. Um, were in this survey. And the results, once again, are just so, in my opinion, so damning of our society, of, of how far we've, uh, we've been uh, lost on the way. Um, and so here's, here's uh, I'm going to give you something um, that, that should help explain most of the thing that's happening uh, in any life of, of, of a Christian, that's, um, whatever part of life you're in, whatever uh, stage of life you're in. What, what what Christianity does is provides you a narrative. Now you say, well, what do you mean by narrative? Because narrative in these day and age has kind of like a negative connotation. Like you say, well, they're, they're, after, they're trying to sell a narrative or they've only got one narrative. And if it don't fit the narrative, then they, they reject it. Here's the thing. Everybody lives in a narrative. Everybody has a narrative in which they describe the world. Um, critical view is a narrative. Critical view is, is supposed to explain some of the questions that people have. Why Why this? Why this? Well, it's because of 
society is is made up into these two groups and um it's it's what we had talked about a couple episodes ago where we said that you know it's it's a it's prescriptive it like it gives the answers and so that's what a narrative does for somebody it's a story it 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 helps to fill in the blanks when there's questions being raised or whatever and so what is the narrative of christianity what is the what is the narrative what is the story of christianity you can tell it in four parts. This is what every Christian should believe, and this is our Christian narrative. And this is why, again, critical theory is, in my opinion, incompatible with Christianity. The narrative of the Christian story goes like this. We believe that right now that, that we have, we're living in one of these stages, but there's four stages of of. of, of of time or existence. Um, that was creation. So that's the intro to the story. It's creation. Um, you can read about this in Genesis. Um, th- th- what are the like questions that the that creation part of the story or the narrative answers? Well, it answers what's the meaning of life? Um, what were you created for? Why are you here? These are philosophical questions that people have answered and struggled to answer for uh, thousands of years now. Um, and, and, and our story tells, gives, gives us those answers, uh, in, in the, uh, the creative introduction of the narrative. What happens after that? Well, conflict comes in and then we enter the fall and this is recorded in Genesis three. Uh, so this answers the questions, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with our world? Why in so many ways is, is, is humanity broken? How has evil, uh, came in like where did evil come from all of these things um are answered uh in the next part of the narrative which was conflict so we now we have creation and then the fall and so that's the intro and then the conflict that's introduced into the story the next part is redemption this is what they call the climax of the story redemption you can read about that in several passages in the gospel but you can read about it specifically in romans 6 and 23 um this is this is this answers the questions what can we do to fix What's wrong with us or what's wrong with the world? What could fix the world's problem? You know, and, and there's more references, obviously, in, in Scripture. A lot of the New Testament writings, especially the epistles um, written by Paul, uh, deals with this. And so the, what's the closing act? It's restoration. That's the resolution of the story. Uh, we read about this in the book of Revelation. Um, what does it look like to flourish? Um, what, what is the end game here? What is the end of this story? What does it look like when there's no more brokenness? And so this story, this narrative for the Christian encapsulate all of human existence. It's, there's an intro, there's conflict introduced, there's the climax, and then there's resolution. And for the Christian, that means there's creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. And the reason that critical theory is incompatible with Christianity is because in almost every one of these, it, it has a different answer. It has a different explanation. Um, but they have no critical theory doesn't answer where we come from, what's the meaning of life, anything like that. There's, you know, there's no creation part of it. There's no introduction. The fall, the conflict that's this is inter, inter, introduced is the patriarchy. Uh, what's, what's wrong with the world today? Well, it's white supremacy. It's, uh, heteronormativity. It's toxic mas- masculinity. Um, it's capitalism. It's, uh, it's just cisgenderism. It's ageism, all the, all the isms, racism. That's that's what's wrong with the world today. It's not sin, you know. We 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 don't say none of these things exist, but they exist because of sin. They exist because of the fall. Because humanity is in a broken state. That's that's what our answer to that. And and so, what is the redemption part of their story? Well, it's 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 activism. It's it's you know becoming woke. It's awareness. It's education. It's resistance of that. Uh, and then what is the what is the utopia? 
You know, what is their heaven? What is their paradise restored? Uh, well, it's equality and or equity, I should say. They, they've moved on from equality. Um, it's equity now. It's power reversal. It's it's the oppressors, uh, oppressed people becoming the oppressors. Um, it's the uh, it's the discrimination that you need to uh, to right the the wrongs. It's it's liberation for the people. It's justice. It's these things. And so there's competing worldviews. Um, so why is critical theory incompatible with Christianity? Because it answers these questions so differently. It answers these questions so differently. The questions that all of us should struggle with. Where does evil come from? Why suffering? All these things. Christianity, in my opinion, has a better answer. There's reconciliation in Christianity. There's reconciliation. You've been reconciled to Christ. That you've been reconciled, or through Christ to God. You've been reconciled. And, 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 and once you do that, Scripture teaches there's no more. There's no more male-female. There's no more bond or free. There's no more uh, Greek and you know, Gentile. No more slave. And free. It, it, all, these, all these different divisions have, have passed away. Everything's a new creation. It's, it's, it's all made new. And so there are, it's 28 minutes. I wonder, you know, and I'm going to stop right here before I feel like we've had a good episode. Um, a lot of this material, I, I'd like to give a shout out. Uh, a lot of this material comes from um, uh, a guy that I, I love to follow and love to read his resources. His name is Neil, and I might say his name wrong. It's Shinvi or Shinva. Um, he is a, he's a Christian apologist. Um, he's very educated. He's he's brilliant, and uh, uh, he has an article called "Why Christianity Is Incompatible" or "Why Critical Theory Is Incompatible with Christianity." I recommend everybody to read it. I think it was first published on the Gospel Coalition, but you could probably read it on his website and a lot of this resource material as well is there. Um, so shout out to him. Uh, thank you for listening to today's episode. Uh, be, we will be continuing this. Uh, further um, uh, in this series later on. God bless. You've been listening to the Kenny Chester Podcast. Please consider subscribing and leaving a review. 